Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dope Black Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever it is that you're listening to this podcast. My name is Umar, also known as The Kank, and welcome to the Dope Black Dads podcast. It is my first podcast recording for 2023. I hope that Christmas, New Year was very good to you and wishing you all a very prosperous 2023. Uh, Today, we are going to be speaking about the National Association of Black Supplementary Schools, or NABS, as I'm going to refer to it going forward. And this was set up in March 2007 by my guest, brother Nia Imara, who had a vision to bring life to a UK-wide directory in order to try and encourage more parents from the African African heritage community to take advantage of the extra supplementary education facilities that are here around the UK, and to also tackle head-on any issues with the heavily reported underachievement of African heritage children in mainstream education. So Brother Nia himself has been a single father for the best part of 14 years, and he always wanted his children to do far better than he did himself, as he severely underachieved in school due to a lack of home encouragement, low self-esteem, and cultural identity confusion. Now, Brother Nia answered a call for assistance at the Nubia Foundation Saturday School, which was then based in Stockwell in South, South London, from the community local radio station of Genesis FM. And whilst he was there, he, he learned the importance of extra help and cultural education. And when he became a father, he started the same supplementary school and attended from the age of four, and his children excelled brilliantly. An example of this is when his daughter started year one. She was actually 18 months ahead of the rest of her year peer group. And on a school trip to the British Museum, she actually knew more about hieroglyphics than her own teacher did. So it goes to show the levels of which um, the work that's been done to get his daughter to that level. When his son started in reception, his class in in reception, he was actually two years ahead sorry two years later he actually ended up 12 months ahead of the rest of his peer peer group you can imagine a four five year old in reception working at the rate of a six seven year old which is absolutely amazing so brother near i'm gonna we'll we'll go into a bit more of this uh in a little in a little bit but uh thank you and welcome on to the dope black dads podcast how you doing today welcome uh, um greetings Happy New Roman Year for you, to you and your family. <laughs> Thank you. Well, no, the New Year starts in spring. That's a real New Year, but true that. True that. <laughs> by at the moment. <laughs> yeah, all good. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Thank you. Good. 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 So, I mean, obviously, the work of NABS, um, amazing, absolutely amazing. I was studying it and understanding and trying to see the kind of things that you guys uh, have been doing, but. From your perspective, what inspired the creation of National Association of Black Supplementary Schools? I mean, throughout my, my life, throughout my school life, I'm, I'm, I'm always the person to ask questions. And if I don't get the answer, then I'll, I'll find an answer. And I'm not, you know, we're entitled to complain, but it, we're also entitled to find answers as well. 
And I, I got fed up with this constant complaint about racist schools and underachievement of black children and ammonia and growing from our community and our lack of activity to solve our own problems. Kept on waiting on the government to do this and waiting for funding to do this and da 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 and nothing was getting done. And while we're waiting, while adults are waiting for all this help from government and outside sources, our, ch- our children are suffering and, and, and chaos is going on in, in our, in our, with our young people. So from my own experience, I know I underachieved in school. So I've, I felt I didn't want my children to go through that kind of stigma and that, you know, that, you know, I wanted them to give a better start than I had. And like, you know, like you said, I listened to um, Genesis Radio. They had an advert to help out in a Saturday school. I thought, okay, I'm free on a Saturday. Let me give something back to the community. I went there. I mean, these, these are, they're not qualified teachers. These are parents. These are African heritage parents. They taught me maths in such a simple way. I'm like, wow, fractions, fractions. It's that easy. I just, I, yeah. I, in, when I was in my mainstream school, I had five maths teachers in one year. One taught fractions on half a page. Next one did it on about four lines. Next one used a whole page. And when it came to the exam, I was completely confused. But it, this pair taught me in such a simple way. I'm like, wow, well, you should have been my teacher. And we had five and six-year-olds doing algebra, writing, in, you know, writing their names in hieroglyphics, doing stuff that year sevens um, do in, in right now. And they're, they're, they're like reception age. And... and, and it for me was we had a, a boy came in at five years old brought in by his dad and that boy had been excluded from five, five nurseries excluded from five nurseries and the last nurse said that boy is unteachable we taught that boy how to write his name in hieroglyphics we taught that boy algebra and fractions so how the hell is he unteachable if we can do it as unqualified teachers so I thought to myself, in the, day, the answer is to do it ourselves mm. so what was it about the way that that parent taught you that made you understand what was it that they did differently to get you to that point because obviously you mentioned that you had five different school teachers and you know they were each teaching fractions in a different way but this one parent came sat you down and you got it pretty much straight away so what was it about their I was there as a helper I'm helping the class but listening at the same time so I tried it for myself I mean the Saturday schools obviously they benefit from smaller class sizes so there's, there's more one-to-one, a lot more one-to-one help. So that's a massive benefit for all the children that go there. And also, the, 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 a lot of the teachers were black, black men. Most of the teachers in the set school were black men. And having that black male influence, it's, you know, even to some children who didn't have their fathers around, made a massive difference. Having that man voice in the classroom, you know what I mean? They weren't messing around at all. Having black men in the class made a massive difference. But the, the small classes, the one-to-one help, and just and it, the, the lessons were fun. And also with the science, maths, and English, we put in the African influence. The Af- African history was involved in all the lessons, even though there was like a separate African history lessons. When you're doing maths or science, we're talking about Imhotep. We're talking about geography. We're talking about the, you know the West Atlantic, Carib- um, African islands, or Africa. You know, we put in the African influence in all the lessons, which gave us something to um, hold on to made us feel part of it so you know in mainstream schools you're de- dealing with science and philosophy you don't, he- you don't hear about anybody who's African but all these lessons were dealing with our people our history and our and, and our um, success stories and all throughout the, the classes that's mm. a massive difference so do you think that uh, you know talk, talking about things from the perspective obviously the African heritage plays a huge role in terms of how kids 
have that better understanding within the education system because obviously you know at the beginning i spoke about your daughter and your son both being far ahead of children of the same age in their year groups so would you say that that's down to them learning in that particular way or do you think there's other influences there as well it helps them to be engaged because i remember being in 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 history lessons i'm thinking to myself well i said to the teacher where is all the black people in history and the teacher said to me there weren't any until slavery you know what i mean we're dealing with the prehistoric times and cavemen and you know, and, and all these kinds of things. I said, well, you know, I'm thinking to myself, where's all the black people? And, and a, a classic example was like when my daughter was in in school, um, there, there, um, she had that influence and that um, that teaching from the Saturday school, and her friends didn't have any history lessons of African heritage at all. But her friends were asking those questions, like in the history lesson that they had. One of her friends says, "Where's where's um, African people in this lesson?" She said. Pure curiosity of constantly seeing European faces everywhere and everything that they learn, just pure curiosity. She's like, "Well, where where are black people in all in, in history? What's what's happening?" Now, my daughter, she didn't answer that question because she knew, but the other students were asking that She, I mean, uh, that particular um, friend verbalized it, but everybody else was thinking it. We're not saying it. Where am I in the picture? And when you would go to an African heritage African heritage centered Saturday school, we're in the picture throughout and that inspires you a lot even me as a parent going there to help out it inspired me massively Mm. but then how does that work then in the context of obviously with mainstream school and mainstream education so you're saying is through nabs basically you know that supplementary side of things allows for them to learn in that particular way and then kind of by having that level of understanding about their culture and their heritage that inspires them to learn in the way that they do, is that is that fair? Is that fair for me to say? Yeah, you could, I mean, if you're constantly learning about all these great European scientists, great European philosophers, great European inventors, you're thinking to yourself, "Well, our people ain't done nothing in this world." I mean, everything great is white. Everything great is European. We ain't done nothing, and that does lower your self-esteem, and that results in our behaviour in classrooms. We don't see ourselves in the picture. We feel as though we can't achieve anything. We've never done anything. We can't achieve anything. It affects your behavior in the classroom. You know, it gives you a very low self. Like, you know, I can tell from my own personal experience, it gives you a very low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in your view, obviously, you know, you've you've had NABS has been has been around now for you know, at least, well, we're in the 16th year now, coming up to, uh, since you set up uh, the National Association of Black Supplementary Schools. Um, you know, in your view, what would you say is the importance of having such schools in the UK? Fills in the gap that's missing in mainstream, mainstream schools. Fills in the gaps that mainstream schools don't even want to touch. It fills in the gap of the early intervention that we keep on asking for, keep on begging for. It's already there in our supplementary schools. This is the early intervention that all our children need. I see. So, um, so having that, so having the black, sorry, having black supplementary schools, you're saying it creates that the gaps, the, the gaps already there. Obviously, there's that big knowledge yeah. gap, especially you know being here. I in wasn't the UK. here in the first place. Yeah. So, say that again. If, the, if there weren't any gaps, there wouldn't be the need for supplementary schools in the first place. Mm. So people, you know, they were originally set up to supplement the mainstream schools, but I see it as supplementing life. This is a supplementary to our life because it's not just academia they're dealing with. They're dealing, they're dealing with life skills as well. 
they do cookery, they do sports, they do um, business, entrepreneurism. You know what I mean? It's not just um, academia they're dealing with. It's, it's across the board life skills. Okay. So, I mean, just to kind of, just to, for, for those that are listening, just to kind of give a bit more background about uh, Buck's Black Supplementary School. So that movement actually started in Britain in the mid-60s and it was actually instigated by Black uh, African Caribbean and their later African parents who saw racism that their children had experienced in the school system. So, you know, for those who grew up in the 60s, they would have experienced, and being black in the 60s was not... Um, was not a good thing here in the UK as much as there was in the 70s and in the 70s as well um, you know I'm a child of the 90s but obviously I've heard stories about what happened in the 60s 70s and even early parts of the 80s as well and clearly there was systemic systemic uh, racism that was going on in schools and some oh, arguably God. would say that that still exists to to a certain degree uh, even today yeah, but it's not so not so upfront because like back then the teachers would call you a monkey to your face in the classroom. So all you lot swinging from trees in the they'll tell you you know you'll, they'll grab your afro and they'll pull it. We used to get corporal punishment for nonsense. Yeah, they would call you a monkey to your face in the classroom back then. You black this and you black that. There's no there's no re- repercussions for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 obviously you know that's not it, obviously unacceptable then, unacceptable now. I mean obviously if that happened now, teachers would be sacked uh, straight away and but i think the good thing about the supplementary school movement was that it actually aimed to provide spaces on evenings and weekends where black children could learn the basics in math like you did uh english and science and also engage in an education of black culture and history especially yeah. when we're talking about uh obviously the 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 culture wars that, that, that have been happening over the last few years um and people trying to not teach that type of history uh in the in in mainstream education the importance of having black supplementary schools is very key. Um, and there was a paper that was discussing key lessons for understanding how communities challenge racism by examining the black supplementary school movement in Britain. And it was based on the work in the book Resisting Racism, Race, Inequality and the Black Supplementary School Movement, which was written in 2013. Now, developing education from a black critical perspective can be part of a mountain can be part of mounting a significant challenge to the racism that lies at the heart of British society. What we've seen is that there has been a dramatic increase in parents sending their children to black supplementary schools, according to key education experts, and leading ex-professionals have said that there's been a surge in demand for services since the pandemic began. Uh, now, when you founded the National Association of Black Supplementary Schools in 2007, it was started off as a website which published a directory of all black supplementary schools across the UK. And a quote that you said, and you've said it before, but I'll kind of put it again out for everyone, is that I learned maths in a way that we were never taught in school and the African history was mind-blowing. So, you know, it's clear there is definitely a gap in terms of what especially black children are learning in school and I think for a lot of black children who were born here and may not necessarily have had the opportunity to go back to their home countries or you know parents have not you know for whatever reason can't afford to take them or you know time or whatever there is that need to fill the to, to fill that gap because it's not just about the second world war it's not just about uh slavery you know there are other things there are other components that make that up so you know you've dealt with obviously predominantly people of African heritage how have they been in terms of receiving these schools what kind of response have you had from them 
from the from our parents. Yeah, from African heritage parents. And um, parents who've had a, a good cultural upbringing themselves will see us as a sex schools as a no-brainer. The problem is that a lot of parents tend to uh, run to these sex schools when they when their children are, f- are finding problems in schools, when they're underachieving, when they're like below the marks. Then they start panicking. Oh, we need a bit of extra help. Instead of realizing that our children need these schools from the very beginning, from age four and five, rather than running around at ages, you know, seven and eight, and start panicking. You know, when it comes around to exam times for GCSEs, oh, I need a satellite school, I need a satellite school for my child. How old is your child? 10 years, 10, 10 years old. Why weren't you in a satellite school before? Why are you leaving it so late? So they, too many parents are using it as a, as a, um, a panic moment instead of, instead of, like I said, early intervention. Get, get, giving our children that extra good start from the beginning but you know as long as they get there in the end it's great but the, the earlier the better mm. and, yeah. and yeah it tends to be when ch- children, um, parents find that their children are struggling in schools then they look for a school which you know it helps in that way but it's much better if you do it from an early age do you think that there's been a change in terms of because I know certainly for me when I was growing up in the 90s um, in East London it wasn't cool to acknowledge your African heritage. It was very much like that you shied away from that. You didn't really want to admit too much about, in my case, being Nigerian and kind of feeling a bit of shame almost uh, because of the way that people perceive things. And, it, you know, people would be like, right, that's, that was the 90s. We were talking about teachers calling students monkeys and stuff in the 60s. I'm like, yeah, this is still a thing. You know, even in the 90s, it's not, it, it didn't just disappear. But what I've, what I've seen recent, like probably in the last, probably 15 years or so, is this sudden trend now in terms of young people trying to find out more about their heritage and kind of embracing that a lot more. So do you think that, I mean, what do you think has kind of sparked that in, in that sense from your perspective? I mean, through the music, it's pretty cool to be African right now, isn't it? Absolutely, um, yeah. And dance tunes and stuff like that has made it very cool to be African. I remember in, a, in, in the 90s, I was working with, with a, a brother from Nigeria and he, he he went out of his way to speak with, a, you know, Ebonics, you know, the, with the Jamaican accent. I'm, I'm saying to like, you know, you don't, I'm not sure where your accent is from. Where are you from? And he didn't want to say. I said, well, you know, we're all brothers, we're all the same. I said, yeah, yeah, cool, but where, where were you born? Oh, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just tell me where you're from. And he refused to say. And it turned out, from, I found out from somebody else, he's actually Nigerian. But he was so embarrassed to say so. It was so cool to be Jamaican. He just put on his front that he was Jamaican. It wasn't cool to be from, from Africa, even though he was born there. I don't know, maybe because all the Jamaican guys were getting the girls. I don't know. But he just refused <laughs> to acknowledge he was from Nigerian. Right now, it'd be more than happy to say he's Nigerian right now. Yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. The there's definitely culture, the youth culture has made it really cool. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a shift because I know, like back in the day, yeah, it was cool to be from the Caribbean, whether it's Jamaica. Oh, it still is anyway. Not saying that it isn't anymore, but it still is. So it's a lot easier to be like, yeah, no, nah, man's from Jamaica, isn't it? Or you know, <laughs> not, uh, man's from Barbados. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, Nigeria ain't been there before. Now it's like, obviously, with the influence of like Wizkid, Burner Boy, you know, all Thames, you know, all of these big Nigerian artists that are having global success. And the culture, and it's like, yeah, it's cool to say I like jollof rice. It wasn't cool back in <laughs> back in the nineties, but now it's just like, yeah, bro, man's gonna bust on the, some jollof and suya, like nobody's business there. So I think it, it, it's, it's interesting, but also I think it's, it's it's important with the 
with with, with nabs because i think you raise a very good point about it being something that is taught from a very young age and not being seen as kind of a run to because we've tried everything else and it's not worked so let's tap into the the culture and the heritage and used like a last resort. I mean, apparently, you know, a lot. Of, you know, some of the parents just use it for the um, academia, and you know, not necessarily not necessarily for the culture. Whereas when the, the the parents that bring their children from the early age, they are they are definitely doing it for the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think more it's, so than academia. Yeah, and it's important because I know. And also, and also, the, also the, the other experience I had was that even speaking to some parents, especially with my children, like like I said to you, my daughter was like eighteen months ahead, my mm-hmm. son was twelve months ahead. There's a, a, a level that you get to in mainstream schools where you can't go any further. In, in, back in our own countries, outside Europe, if, you're, if your child is exceptionally gifted and way ahead of everybody else, there's no qualms about moving that child up a year. Like even with the satellite schools, the, the um, satellite schools, if a child is gifted, he'll be moved up to the next, next year group. But in mainstream schools in this country, they, they just don't, they do not want to do that. It's legal to do so, but they don't want to do that. So when you have gifted children, who will reach that level and they can't go any further, they just get bored. They start acting up. And that's when the behavior goes downhill. And that happened, I saw it with my own children. They used my daughter as a, as a supply teacher. They used her to go back and te- help the other children that are struggling. To a certain extent, it helped her, kept her on the level. But at the end of the day, she couldn't develop any further. Yeah. So there was this ceiling. And I remember in 20, 2016, I had five parents in one in that one year that rang me up and said that the school had um, spoken to them and asked them to stop sending their children to a Saturday school because they're learning too much too quick. It's ridiculous. I There's... said to them, listen, go back to your school and mention solicitor. Said to them, you want your child moved up a year. If you don't, if it ain't happening, you're going to call your solicitor. As far as I'm aware, two children got moved up a year. <laughs> so it's legal to do so, but they just don't want to do it. Yeah. And again, I think it's, it, again, it's all about that kind of that traditional school system and not wanting to embrace people's abilities and kind of wanting to yeah, you know, keep people no, as... Nobody wins scenario, like, come on. Yeah, because I mean, you know, it's like, you know, a lot of, because I know like recently I've seen lots of stories about young black children doing GCSEs at like the age of nine and... 11 and kind of you know very young age and i'm sure they've probably you know obviously as well as being naturally gifted have probably benefited from being involved with some supplementary schools and i think the point you were raising before about um the ages i think it's so important that kids know about their culture and their heritage from a very young age my parents came over to the uk in the mid 80s i was born in the mid 80s um and you know for me, it was very much about understanding my culture, my heritage, going back to Nigeria, understanding how things were out there, learning the language. I'm fluent in Hausa, like I could speak it, no no problem, uh, even to the point where I can actually monetize off of it a little bit because it's such a <laughs> rare language. So, you know, I'm always thankful, make sure my parents remember that whenever I get, you know, some <laughs> whenever I get some change off of the back of that. But um, yeah, but I think again, for our kids as well, it's important. I've got a four-year-old, a seven-year-old. It's important for them to understand their heritage. It's important for them to understand where they come from. It's important for them to, to know you are black, children you are nigerians you know you yes you were born here in the uk but your heritage your background is nigerian everything that kind of 
comes along with that. So I think it's 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 important that it should be a proactive rather than a reactive thing that parents are doing uh, to teach their children about their heritage. You know, whether you're whether they're from Africa or from the Caribbean, and even if they are from the Caribbean, for example, you know, you can trace your roots back to Africa. So it's important to kind of know um, across the board and that. So you know, what would you say from your experience is the difference between black supplementary schools and traditional schools from the experiences that you've had? The the massive benefit of smaller classes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely massive benefit. You've got more one-to-one work going on. The fun element of it, because it's not so... Because the mainstream schools, they're, 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 their schedules are so tight. They've got literally they squeeze everything in and they, they, you know, they've got these lead tables that put them under so much pressure and the funding, you know, they're under so much pressure. With, with separate schools, I think the teachers can be far more relaxed. Far more relaxed. And also the, the, um, the influence of people from your own heritage, from your own background. You know, you're seeing, you're seeing people, you know, could like with the separate schools, they bring in... Um, African heritage business people, sports people, scientists, philosophers, they're bringing people that, that do these things in our community to, to the fore. So you see people that you can aim for. Mainstream, mainstream schools, you won't see them. You will never, the one, uh, sex school I went to visit last year, they brought in a, um, a female, um, surgeon. Mm-hmm. You know, a black female surgeon. You know what I mean? And she was she sat down, she was speaking to the class. It inspired them so much. You know, you, we'll never see a black female surgeon hardly anywhere. Mm. But these mm. are the kind of people that we bring into our schools and our children can see that success in front of their face because we need to see what we need to aim for. It helps so much. Mm. Yeah, no, I, We I, see I, black footballers all the time. But when it comes to the sciences and, you know, we just don't see them. Yeah, it's very no, rare. I, I agree. And I think I remember growing up for me, you know, um, yeah, we, we would hear about, I remember an awards evening, Mike... Uh, no, is it Mike? No, not Michael Richards. Um, Michael Hyde, who used to play for Watford. So he was kind of, again, you know, great player, you know, at the time for Watford. He was the one that they'd be coming in and bringing them, bringing to the school to kind of like, yeah, this is who you want to be like. And I'm like, but I don't want to be a footballer. You know, that's that's not me. Um, <laughs> where's, where's you know, I'm a, I'm a solicitor by trade. It's like, so where's the lawyers? Where's the judges? Like, I want to see people that do that kind of thing. And one thing that I vowed to myself is that, when I qualify, I want to make sure that if I get the opportunity to, I will go into schools, into communities to kind of talk about my role as a solicitor, but also my path and my entry into that. Because I think it's so important for people that look like me, especially young people, to see that it is possible to get to that point. You know, I like to make the point that, you know, I'm from East London. So it's not a case that I've had a leg up. I've not had anything. I've had to work to get to where I am right now and there's challenges and I'm and I like to be real with people and I to explain these things to 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 people and I used to be um a youth participation worker back in the day before I qualified and you know very much like nurturing young people but being real with them and telling them what's what keeping it real and you know and for them to have that visual scene like oh my gosh he he did it he came from my area like he understands what it's about it it just changes the mindset because i think when you're presenting people that young people can't relate to it's like okay well that can't be me even you know i'm not saying the statistics are there anyway when it comes to football you know you can have 400 people playing football maybe one of them's going to make it into the premier league 
So it means that your chances, you know, of being that one person are extremely low. But, you know, qualifying as a doctor, as a solicitor, as an accountant, running your own business, especially, you know, being entrepreneurial in spirit. Because a lot of our young people have got that entrepreneurial spirit as well. So it's about trying to transfer that from the negative. Obviously, you know, we know about what goes on on street and what goes on on road and trying to convert that. Because very often I've had situations where I've dealt with young people where it's like, okay, so you want to sell weed, uh, you know, you're making money all right, cool. What you're doing is illegal, obviously, but you got the brain there. You got the talent because you're working out. Business. Yeah, you, you understand, you know, I, I need to buy this amount. I need to sell it at this price to make this money, to fund yep. this lifestyle. It's like, you know, it's just flipping a switch. Distribution methods and all this. All of this kind yeah. of stuff. And it's like, if you yeah. were to apply that in a more positive way, just think of the the, the, the difference that you can make in your life and you know for other people so you already know about you know we're talking employment we're talking about management we're talking about line management we're talking about like you say distribution and profit and margins like and they're doing it at the age of like 12 13 these these people are doing it but it's just about they're not seeing the positive role models uh which is something that needs to happen um so yeah but it is it is what it is but you know hopefully i think with what you're doing you know that will make a huge difference to to the lives of the young people last question i really wanted to ask you is that you know in terms of the resources that nabs provides to parents and children so obviously you know you say you've got the smaller class sizes you have uh professionals that will come in but what other resources do you provide to parents and children that will help them in terms of supplementing their education i mean the base i mean the basics are there you know the um the role models, the the, the history lessons, the uh, their self esteem, that, that, that is the basics. It's down to the parents and the community to take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. There's only so much um, education can do, but then it needs the community to help raise that child. We keep on saying it takes a village to raise a child. We need to recreate that village because there's only so much supplementaries. Like I said, it's early intervention. This is providing the tools. Mm-hmm. And to implement those tools, it takes the wider community to do so. Mm-hmm. It takes that village mentality. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the saying, it takes a village to raise a child is so true. You know, you can't do it in isolation uh, at all. It, it, it's possible, but it's a lot harder. And I think when you are drawing on all of those resources that you have available to you, like what you're doing, which is, you know, saying, all right, I know, I know a physician, I know a surgeon, can you spare a couple of hours of a Saturday to come in, speak to the kids, you know, give them that inspiration? Because to me, whenever somebody says that to me, you know, can you come in and do a talk? I see, you know, for a lot of people, they're like, oh, that's long, man. I haven't got, you know, I haven't got the time. But for me, it's like that one hour, two hours that I'm out of my time. Yes, it's money that I could be earning doing something else, which is, you know, whatever. But for me, it's important because... I could inspire somebody to go on to do something positive and do even better than what I what I've done because I'm very much about you know what I've worked hard this is what I've done this is what I'm about but we're trying to pave the way for the next generation to come through and I think that's what it should be about it should be about you know what NABS has started in the mid 60s and and what you did with it uh in the mid in the early 2000s was very much about breaking those stereotypes and paving the way and for people that go through that experience and go through your system, 
It's about them taking that and saying, okay, cool. I've done this. I've learned. I understand my culture and my heritage. I've been able to be successful with it. Now I want to lay the groundwork for the next generation to come through. So it's very much about us trying to chip away as much as possible because you know no matter how we want to look at it you know there is still elements of racism that exists in this society you know people i think are probably slightly fooled a little bit in terms of you know yes because things are a lot more open uh you know we've got you know lots of things around equality going on but racism does still exist in institutions i always say you know again being from a legal background I've never seen one Supreme Court judge that's black. There's no court of appeal judge that's black. All the judges that you have within the legal system are at the lowest end of the the legal scale possible. You know, it's only recently we've had, (coughs) excuse me, the first black chancellor of the Exchequer, you know, regardless political views aside, you know, black foreign secretary, all of those kind of things. You know, these are very recent things that are happening. We've got very talented people in the community we've got talented people in us in this society so what's happening why is it not kind of you know why are we not in more prominent positions and stuff so having things like nabs is absolutely amazing um you know i think your your work is fantastic you know you've got a youtube channel which i highly recommend people to go on and, and find out some more information um about that is there anything that you'd like to say in terms of closing that you you know to inspire others to to get more involved with the work that you're doing yeah um at the end of the day i'm i'm, I'm a vehicle for information mm-hmm. that's my I'm, I'm a sign poster i don't actually run the status schools i promote what is already out there and mm-hmm. some of these schools have been going 30 35 years some of these schools have been going for so long and self-funded one, the message I want to put out now is our African heritage business people need to come back and start f- helping to fund our own supplementary schools. Okay? They keep on using the, the, having the begging bowl of begging for funding for this and funding for that. And it's long for them. Mm-hmm. It's long and they not through hoops. And we've got so much money just being wasted on absolute nonsense in our community. A little £10 here and there to a Saturday school goes a long way. Yeah. So we as a community need to go back and start helping get into the habit of funding our own institutions. Because like I said, we, we can give our children as many role models as we, as we like. But once they finish the school system, they need jobs. We need to start getting to the habit of employing our own. You know, we need to get into the habit of housing our young people. Because our, our young people are crying out for some help from adults. Mm-hmm. Feeding our own, housing our own, employing our own, and securing our own. And stop this begging bowl attitude of relying on other people to be doing that for us. And when we don't get it, we start crying, racism, racism. No, it's not racism. It's we we do our own things. Yeah. Sort ourselves out now. We've been here long enough. We've got enough money in our community. Please, we have enough. Yeah, no, I I think you're absolutely right. And I think, and and this is a conversation I often have with people when I say, you know, we're not the only immigrants that have come to this country, you know, from from Africa, from the Caribbean. You know, let's look at our South Asian brothers and sisters who've come and who've learned how to you know they've created business they've created a system where they're able to to generate wealth uh for them for their families for their generations and also have a very prominent say in how society is run case in point our prime minister the first asian first ethnic minority prime minister this country has ever had so you know if they can do it why are we not doing it and that is a question i often pose so you're right i think a lot needs to be done within our own community and for those that are you know if you are listening you know think about ways in which 
if you have your own business, uh, you know, think about ways in which you can create those pipelines for black young people to be able to get into the industries that you're working in. You know, and I'm not saying employ a black person just for the sake of it, just, you know, just to kind of say, okay, yeah, I'm doing it, but actually invest in them. And one of the ways in which you can do that is through the supplementary schools that are out there. So, you know, think about maybe investing in those and you'll see the benefits of that. It won't happen, obviously, straight away. You know, it's, it's a process, but it's a process that, you know, if you invest in and you continue to invest in, you will see the outcomes of it in the near future. Uh, Brother Nair? No, I always say, I always say invest time yes. or finances, one or the other. Yes. Because our children are watching. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you. So, Brother Nair, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to speak with you today. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being part of the Dope Black Dads podcast. And for those that are listening, of course, please continue to subscribe and catch us on any of the platform, uh, podcast sharing platforms, Apple, Spotify, all of those, all of the above. Uh, have a blessed day and we will catch up with you soon. Take care. Dope, Dope Black Podcast.